Welcome to the Vox Podcast, Mike and Tim here, um, and we're so excited. I think maybe we're the only ones that care that we're getting close to our 200th episode, but for <laughs> us, that is an excuse to do something a little bit different. So we're going to continue a conversation that we started about asking some of our friends about the future of the church and had a really interesting uh, response back from a guy because Rick and I were talking. And first of all, I don't think Rick is a drug dealer. I got these all these texts saying, hey, is, is, is he high? Is he really that mellow? Um, Just based is. on his like vocal tone? Well, just at his demeanor. I mean, he's so, <laughs> he's just so mellow. Um, yeah. And and it's, <laughs> I just have so much fun with that guy. But it was funny because because I literally, within, within releasing the episode, I got probably three texts saying, hey, dude, was he high? Um, no, no, that's, <laughs> that's just my friend Rick, which is the greatest thing ever. Now, uh, today... So, so we want to we wanna just get the different takes on this sort of question about future of the church in America, future of Christianity. And uh, we've got two people today, one very, very familiar, Andy Bear. Andy Laura is um, a, a guy who, uh, you know, a lot of you will know if you're a newer listener, Andy and I started the podcast together uh, for almost four years ago. And then he was part of a church that we started. He was a central leader in uh, a church that we started out in Southern California. And so Andy um, is a, he just has had loads of great thoughts and opinions. And, and, and I just thought it was totally appropriate, you know, for our 200th episode that he be um, one of our featured sort of interviewees. Um, and then uh, I, I want to introduce you. Some of our listeners will know who this is, but a uh, friend of mine named Kristen Howerton. Kristen uh, as you'll hear in our interview, uh, she and I go back uh, quite a bit to to Rock Harbor Costa Mesa days. She is she was she was on the blog kind of train when that first started, and early there was on. a whole yeah very very early on, and there was a whole wave of of women who were blogging about motherhood, but then that 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 evolved into faith and politics and race and all sorts of uh, interesting topics and um so anyway she she's one of the og bloggers baby um and and she is very progressive thinker part of all sorts of uh interesting networks and conversations and so i thought she'd be she'd be fun to talk to too so we're gonna we're gonna start with her and um excited about that again all all disclaimers apply you know the our goal in interviewing is just to hear their best stuff um, but uh, I think you'll enjoy this episode. Uh, it's long, but I think it's really, really worth it. So here we go. Here's Kristen. Hey, everybody. Mike here with a, a, a friend that is just just so fun to reconnect with, Kristen Howerton. Um, I knew Kristen from back, I don't know, decade ago, which is ridiculous. Uh, probably more than that, right? Because it was Rock, that, Rock Harbor, <laughs> Rock Harbor, oh three, oh four, oh five, and um, Kristen was a neighbor, and yeah. um, and and you know, just in our in our small kind of circle, she was she was a rock star. So we're we're grateful. 
Kristen, to have you on. Um, thank you so much for making time. And well, I'm so, so glad to catch up with you. Yes, it's so fun. And, and it's something you have to know about Kristen, Kristen was, I don't know, you were the earliest blogger I'd ever, like, before I knew blogging was a thing, you were... You were blogging, right? I mean, I this was, an was OG like OG blogger for sure. Yeah. Yes, and and it was <laughs> and it, was it always Rage Against the Minivan? Was that always the? the... Oh no! Um, okay, I started what was it originally? with a, with a very creative title called the Howerton Family Blog, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what Perfect. it was for a long time. Perfect. Perfect. When did it When did it become Rage Against the Minivan? When you got I one? Think I, <laughs> no, I think it was like, you know, I just started blogging for family and friends, really. I mean, yeah. you remember I was in the, the process of adopting and oh, yeah. um, people were always wanting updates. And I was just in a bad place of like, I don't want to talk about this anymore because it's devastating because yeah. it, was t it took three years to bring Kembe home from Haiti. Yep. So I started that blog just as a way to point people to like, you know what? All the info's on the blog. I don't want to talk about this and cry a play date. So go read the blog. Right. <laughs> That's really how it started it was just like update for family and friends and then over the years it's like oh more than just my mom is reading this yeah. um, and so it it morphed into a job and once I sort of I don't know what once I sold out you know once I started <laughs> um you know doing it and accepting sponsored posts and putting ads on the site it was like yeah. okay I need to like name this and it needs to be a brand instead of just like my rinky dink family blog yeah but it became I mean it, it, I don't know, like, I don't know how big blogs are anymore. You know, um, I just don't, I'm not familiar enough with that space, but I mean, it was a big deal. Like it was, um, it was for a few years, but you're, but I think your hunch is correct that people are not reading blogs quite as much anymore. Yeah. 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 It, so it, you that have, was a very unique kind of time and, and place, um, that I feel fortunate to have been a part of, but I, I still do blog, but it's blogging is not the same. It's all on Instagram and Facebook now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and so, yeah, you started, I, it, that was like, Oh six or Oh five yeah. was when you started that. Yeah. So that's amazing. And, um, in rage against the minivan, I just think is, is awesome. And, and, and one of the things that Kristen, the, the reason we all knew that Kristen would be amazing at, at, at writing or speaking or whatever was she wrote these Christmas letters that were, <laughs> that literally were the highlight of the Christmas season. So I can't tell you any more than that, except they had footnotes and, um, and they were outstanding. So, so what are you up to these days? You, you still have, you still have, um, the blog, but you, you're mm -hmm. doing a lot more than that, right? You've got a podcast. I have a podcast. Um, it's called Selfie. It is a podcast <laughs> all about self-care. So we talk about everything from, you know, serums and hair care stuff to, you know, mental and emotional stuff. We talk about anxiety. We talk about boundaries with friends. You know, my my background is clinical psychology. Right. And then my co-host, Sarah James, is a beauty blogger. So we're both kind of coming to this. Yeah, it's, it's kind of oh, a perfect so marriage. Fun. But she's we're I'm also interested in, you know, maybe looking younger or what have you, you know, um, and she's interested in psychology. So we kind of we come together and we have some really interesting discussions just about um, everything. I mean, you know, we did an entire episode on pubic hair. That was our most popular episode. So it's all over the place. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Oh, that's that's a topic you know we haven't covered yet. So I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I, that's, I mean, that's Mike, happening. I'm just here to tell you if you want to talk about that during this episode, I'm, I'm available. If that's where you want to go. Oh my goodness. So so that's so fun. How long's that been been going? Um, we've been doing it for about a year and a half. Okay, and that's every week. Yeah. And so, is there a, is there a website, or is it just selfie selfiepodcast dot com? Yes. Oh, that's so fun. Um, and and you know, keyword pubic hair. So that'll be that'll be fantastic. Right. Now, I mean, I'm just saying that was the most popular episode. I don't know what that <laughs> says about the world. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and then, then what, what, what happened is you sort of became, I, I don't know if it was through the blog or, or what, but you became part of this, this crew of Jen Hetmaker and, and Glennon and, um, Doyle is her last name, correct? Is that, is that right? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, and that whole, like there was a crew of bloggers that it felt like, and tell me, please correct me, because I just don't know. It felt like from the outside, it was started with parenting, but then it became much more um, almost like a parenting as what it means to exist as a woman in, you know, the 21st century kind of, and, and to wrestling through Christian things and cultural issues. And I mean, is that an accurate way to describe that whole, because it felt like that was a whole movement for a while. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I think most of us kind of started um, blogging, you know, maybe about just our day and our family, and it was sort of an online journal. And then I think, you know, for many of us, as our platforms grew, it's like, you know what, um, this is weird. I have, you know, people outside my family and my circle of friends listening. <laughs> and there's some things that I feel passionate about. And I, I'm going to talk about those things. Yeah. So, you know, I started pretty quickly writing about social justice issues, um, mm -hmm. politics and faith and that intersection, um, race. You know, I have a transracial family. So that was mm -hmm. an issue that I always started, you know, wanted to talk about. Yep. So I kind of felt like I wanted to steward that that platform, you know, mm -hmm. like, OK, mm -hmm. I have people listening to me and it's great to tell funny stories about diaper blowouts that are relatable. <laughs> but I really felt strongly that I wanted the blog to challenge the way people think. And I mm -hmm. wanted to push people to really grapple with social justice issues like mm -hmm. that, that, you know, I, I'm passionate about that. And I, I felt like, okay, I'm going to like rein them in with maybe funny kid stories. And then once a week, I'm going to like sneak <laughs> right. attack Right. Something about social justice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, and, and obviously with with your story with the kids, I mean, a massive, massive insight. And I, and I remember you also, I, didn't you do something on the blog? It was like, what I want you to know as, mm -hmm. as like somebody that you would normally hear from. Like there was one you did, I remember reading, I think it was like a pastor's wife or a pastor's spouse or something. And it was unbelievably powerful. Like, it, yeah, be it became this sort really, of safe space for people. Yeah, that was a really cool series. And I mean, I can't really take any credit for the power of those essays because it was just people writing in. What I wanted to do also was I wanted to give a voice to people that 
were often misunderstood. So mm. I, and it was called, like you said, what I want you to know. And it was everything from like, what I want you to know about raising an autistic child mm. to what I want you to know about having a genetic disorder. Um, and we just got once a week, got to hear from people in a yeah. walk of life that, you know, maybe we weren't familiar with and people often wrote them anonymously. So they were really vulnerable. Oh, wow. Um, and they were they were fascinating, although I'll tell you a funny story about that. Even though at the very top I had a graphic that said it was a guest post series, I would explain <laughs> it in a paragraph. I constantly had people thinking I wrote them because they like wouldn't read them. Totally. They just read the <laughs> so, title of it and go, Oh right, man. So yeah. Oh, Kristen, I had no idea you had a genetic disorder and you totally. were autistic. That's brutal. Right. And like, I'm really sorry about your sex addiction. And yeah, so it was <laughs> that was kind of funny, but no, oh. it, it ended up being a really powerful series, and I'm glad yes, that those sort of yes. live on on the blog, and people people will find right. them just from Googling, you know, whatever that oh, unique situation is, which is fun. Right, but before the rest of us kind of got on board, you were, I, I'm trying to paint a picture where you were ahead of the curve on a lot of this, and obviously from from the uh, therapist background. Um, and as a, as a, obviously a woman and as a mom and wrestling with all of this stuff, I mean, you, um, I think there was a, a pretty, you know, fairly significant movement of, um, women who, who all of a sudden had platform in ways that platform had never been given. And absolutely. That, I think yes. that's absolutely true. Yeah. And, that, and that was just super interesting. I mean, to the rest yeah. of us going, Oh, here are all these really intelligent women who have great things to say, but you'd never hear from them because they're women. And, yeah. um, and what's well, that? I think it shook things up even in terms of, you know, women's spiritual leadership. And I mean, two years ago, someone wrote a big think piece about, should we be listening to Jen Hatmaker because she's not ordained, yeah, you know? That. And so I, I think it was an interesting place, too, where you saw female voices talking about issues of faith and theology, um, and it ruffled some feathers who, you know, oh of goodness, people who yes. didn't want to hear from women. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, it did ruffle some feathers. Oh, yes. Um, and, and um, you know, the interesting thing is that just it, it what happened with with that. Uh, and I'm, I'm searching for words, but that tribe, for lack of a better word, you know, because uh, I, I kind of put uh, and, and I know this doesn't do it justice, but I think of you and Rachel Held Evans and Glennon and and Jen and um, and Sarah. Right. There's Sarah. Sarah Bessie. Uh, yep. It just kind of it kind of as a crew who were doing the, they had their own twist. You had your own twist on things. But I, I look at it as kind of a like there was momentum around this whole block of yeah. material and voices and didn't there it did, was yeah yeah and and it it did and does feel like a sisterhood and I mean I count most of those women as some of my closest friends and I'm I, I think what is also unique about the space when you've got women voices we truly support each other mm -hmm. truly you know I mean yeah. Some of the women that you're talking about have been my biggest cheerleaders and and my biggest confidants over the past few years. And so um, that was a really unexpected gift in, you know, I and if I had to look back on all of the blogging stuff and everything that's come out of it, I would say those friendships are at the very top of the list in terms of um, what I'm grateful for. Was there any 
was there any negative that came from all of that? Um, I, I would imagine you got critique and pushback, but was did that ever take a toll on you? Um, I, th- I think that I was comfortable with the pushback. Um, I don't know that that is true for every woman who has been in that circle mm-hmm. and have, you know, I, to me, it's like, you know, my mom used to say this to me and it's so trite, but it's true. <laughs> if you stick your neck out, someone's going to try to chop it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have just always felt like that criticism is a, is a kind of the price to pay yeah. If you have influence uh, mm-hmm. in any, you know, not just online, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're the one on the stage, if you're the one in the arena, you're going to be the one they're throwing rocks at. Someone is. And right. as that platform grows, you know, that 2% of crazy people who want to, you know, bring you harm, that 2% yeah. is going to exponentially grow mm-hmm. um, and as your platform grows. And so I always tried to really look at it that way of just like, you know, there's going to be people who don't like this and yeah. that's okay. I mean, I was, I was pushing back on um, just some things that, that felt very sacred to Christians. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting because I think with the advent of Trump, I, th- I think more Christians have been a little vocal about like, Hmm, is this, you know, <laughs> like complete and total, loyalty to a political party within our faith structure is, Mm -hmm. is this valid? Um, but I think I was asking those questions. I mean, I can remember, this is crazy, but like about 10 years ago, writing a blog post where I admitted I was a Democrat and that felt like a radical act, which is insane. Yeah. 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 You know, I think I remember that actually. Yeah, um, but it's that, that's insane for me to think about that back you, then that felt so knew, edgy. Yes, 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 yes. Well, it, it, I mean, it is in some ways in a completely different world 10 years later. I mean, just... It is. And so, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I think I actually remember that. Um, and, uh, yeah, because Orange County, where we... We're at is is very fairly conservative, and then the Christians in Orange County. Oh, um, it's yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that's everywhere. I mean, you know, I I went to Bible college um, in Cincinnati, and I oh, remember that's right. there oh, was that's right. a Democrat, one Democrat <laughs> on campus, and you talked about it in hushed tones, like that guy's a Democrat, like you know that guy has leprosy. I mean, y- you right. know it. Yeah. It was the one guy. And we all thought he was like a heretic because he was a Democrat. That Because that's how I was raised. Sure. That's how, the, you know, the yeah. church felt at that well, time. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Now, now yeah. one of the, I mean, this is all part of the reason why I was very, very excited to talk with you about kind of the future of the church stuff. Because, uh, yeah, I think you have a, a pretty interesting perspective. I've not... I'm still waiting for my invitation to evolving faith. And what's the goose? What's the goose one? The goose conference? <laughs> Wild goose. Wild goose. Waiting for that. You don't need an invitation. Just oh, show up. They're both amazing. Awesome. <laughs> um, uh, but but I feel like you've got, you've just got a different set of eyes. And so, so where, if we could just, uh, obviously we're oversimplifying. I get it. Um, all the disclaimers apply. But where do you see what's what do you where do you see the state of the church today mm-hmm. um, yeah. with an eye towards uh, how do you think this thing's going to look in 20 years in our lifetime, let's say? 
Yeah. I mean, I will say, first and foremost, that I feel a deep sadness about the current state of the church. Hmm. Um, I feel... Um, I wish it was different. I do. And what, what causes I ha- you sadness? Um, I just think people are leaving the church. Mm-hmm. I think that a number mm-hmm. of us who grew up in the church still... Um, still hold dear many things. I mean, first of all, our belief system, um, but second of all, just the value of the community of church, of gathering, of mm-hmm. worshiping together. Um, those are things that I still value. Um, but I, I do feel like there are certain things in the church at present um, that are driving people away and making it nearly impossible for people to find a church home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... like. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Well, here we go. Um, Well, I mentioned it before, but I Mm -hmm. think one Mm -hmm. of them is that um, very tight marriage of the Christian church and the Republican Party. I Mm -hmm. I think that that is driving people away. And I Mm -hmm. think especially um, after we saw that predominantly white Christians voted for Trump. And I think Mm -hmm. it's causing pain and confusion for a lot of people. And I'll even speak for myself. You know, I was raised, um, I was raised being taught that we should be caring for the oppressed and the downtrodden. (laughs) And I was raised, um, believing that we should be looking at the ethics of our elected officials. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was taught that by my parents and I was taught that in my church. And I think it has been confusing and and sad mm. for so many of us to watch these very people that taught us these values just completely <laughs> turn against them mm-hmm. in the election of Donald Trump and mm-hmm. because he does not he does not um <laughs> exemplify any of the values that I was taught growing up mm. so i think there's just a number of us that feel almost betrayed like wait a minute mm. this isn't this isn't what we thought the church was and mm. Um, You know, you've got Franklin Graham and Dave Crowder, of all people, going on a tour right now (laughs) that is, you know, pushing the the agenda of the right. Now, I don't want to say that Christians shouldn't be Republican. Everybody's free to to vote, you know, their heart and their conscience. But I think um, the idea that these have to be married and Mm -hmm. I'm just seeing a lot of Christians put nationalism or their political party above their theology and their faith. Mm -hmm. And I think that is hurting the church at large. It's hurting people in the church and it's driving people away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No question. I think that's absolutely true. Um, When you look at what that, if we press into that for going to the future, what do you think? What has to what has to die in the church? Okay, so that's one example, no question. That yeah. has to die, um, wherever it's found. Right? This isn't just a conservative thing. This is if if party loyalty. If we've been better discipled by media than we have, yep. You know, then then we're we're dead anyway. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. What else do you think has to die? What else causes you sadness? And what it, why yeah. do you think so many people are being driven away? Well, and you alluded to it, too. You know, it, it this kind of fundamentalism um, in terms of putting your um, your politics above your faith, this has to die on both sides. And we're seeing the same kind of stuff happening in the ex-evangelical movement. I mean, yes. I don't know if you saw what was happening in the past week, but they imploded on themselves. Um, 
So, you know, I think that there's just also a lot of schisms in the church Mm -hmm. and they are schisms that we're not being able to, I don't know, like, I feel like I grew up and, and you could have a number of different theological stances, but we could Mm -hmm. still acknowledge each other as, as Christians. Right. (laughs) So I grew up actually in a faith um, tradition wherein water baptism was how you were saved. So if you said the sinner's prayer, you're still going to hell unless you were dunked (laughs) underwater. Yes. I I mean, and I'm not kidding. Like that's truly true. Yes, that's true. It was, you know, um, church of Christ, you had to be water baptized or you were burning Mm -hmm. in hell forever. Didn't matter what prayer you said at church camp. So, you know, we were all about going and finding everyone and dunking them underwater. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, we could still acknowledge the Baptists and the, you know, we we could still Mm -hmm. acknowledge the Episcopalians. We could still, we all still thought they were Christian, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't call each other hair you know, heretics and, and there, you know, all kinds of theological differences, whether you do um, communion every week or every other week, whether communion is, you know, an invitation to anyone, or if it's, you know, there's so many theological differences that we've gotten over mm-hmm. in the last, you know, few centuries, um, you know, whether or not you're premillennial or postmillennial. Um, <laughs> but what we're seeing right now is one theological difference that people literally cannot get over. And that is LGBT. Yeah. Um, affirming versus non-affirming. And we mm-hmm. have a huge schism in the church right now mm-hmm. where both sides are saying, you're not really a Christian. Mm-hmm. You don't really exemplify, you know, mm-hmm. you, d- you don't um, honor biblical authority. And it is such a schism that, you know, people are being fired from churches and kicked yep. out of leadership in churches yep. and churches yep. are splitting over this issue. Yep. And I truly feel like if we cannot get our stuff together, I'm going to try not to cuss on your podcast, Mike. No, it's, it's fine. There's been cussing. <laughs> there has been cussing. But yeah, if we can't get it together, you know, this this is, I think, um, driving. It's both driving people away and it's mm-hmm. also ruining existing churches. This mm-hmm. issue and the fact Absolutely. that we have we have become so split over this issue. Um, and, and I think so much emphasis has been put on this issue. It's almost yep. become in some church circles, a litmus test. Like, well, it, it if you're LGBT is. affirming, then yep. you're, you're not, you're not reading the Bible accurately or you don't, yep. you yep. know, you don't um, care about biblical authority or what have you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that issue I think is one that we're going to be reconciling with over the next couple yeah. decades, I think. Yeah, no. Man, Kristen, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And it's not just the disagreement, but it's how the disagreement is handled. That is, is, that is unbelievably tragic because there just seems like I am totally with you. There's this hardening on both sides and, and, you know, middle ground, it just gets bombarded (laughs) with, with, you know, uh, insults and compromise. I, I mean, I just got an email the other day of just like, listen, Mike, there's some of these issues that just don't have middle ground. And right. um and, and maybe, maybe that's true. Um but but I, I still think, you know, that Jesus has this really interesting way of holding things and holding people who hold different things together that right. the church has lost completely. Which Yeah, you know, it, it does feel like we've gotten 
so far from the Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. You know, it, it, it really does. I mean, and it's, it's fascinating raising kids in this time and place. Yeah, and how do you? Yes, yes, yes. That's a great go. Go, go, go. How are you raising them knowing what you know now? How are you raising them in the faith, whatever that looks like? I'm flailing. <laughs> I'm flailing, to be quite Amen. honest, Amen. because um, my... Two of my kids go to youth group at an evangelical church, mm -hmm. um, and then they come home and I feel like I am sometimes dismantling things, you know, like let's, let's open the Bible and let's look at what Jesus said and let's look at how Jesus acted, you know, and let's get back to the basics of who Jesus was. Um, it's, it's hard. It's really <laughs> difficult. I don't feel like, yeah. you know. And I think the state of the church presently, at least where I'm at, but I think this is true in many places, you know, and it feels like you have one of two very disparate options, which is that you can go to, you know, a more modern um, church and they may look progressive and they might wear hipster clothing and they might wear the fedoras and they might have the coffee shop in the lobby. Um, but the theology is actually probably not very progressive. And if you really pushed in on many of these churches, um, you would find that we're not going to let a gay person teach a Sunday school class or lead in youth ministry, you know, um, and, and but they're the ones who are doing the more experiential worship. They're the ones who, you know, for me, um, that's a more comfortable worship experience of church. Um, but the theology is, is hard. Or I could go find a church that's more affirming. Um, that's but that's probably going to be a mainline church. And I'm probably going to be one of the youngest people there by 20 years. And the, the service of the church, the experience of church is very liturgical, very rote, very scripted, very um, sacred, very high church. And that is great for everybody who likes that. That's not what I am, am accustomed with, you know? Right. And I, I mean, I remember Rachel Held Evans and I asking each other, like, can I just find a church that does worship, but loves gay people? Right. <laughs> like, yep. you know, where is that church? I don't know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not here. It's not here where I live. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Absolutely. Um, and so, so for two that don't go. They don't go. Yeah. And, and um, how do you talk to them? If at all. Um, well, about about faith stuff. You know, I try to make that an organic part of our life. I mm -hmm, will say that mm -hmm. um, one of my kids who's 12, my daughter doesn't go to church. She, she's not interested in youth group. And I have asked her, you know, can we get you involved? And um, she is she's hung up on the LGBT stuff. Mm. She's she's my little yeah. ally. And, you know, she's like, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go to a church that wouldn't accept gay people. Um, now, mind you, of course, this church would say that they accept gay people. But, you know, she knows like they wouldn't accept them to be in leadership. And that that's that's a hard line for her. Um, I will say, though, what's interesting about her is some damage was done because she got involved in an after school Bible study. Mm. Um, run by some very evangelical, um, very exuberant people. And it was very off-putting for her. 
Um, you know, because it, it would just be, you know, an hour of like confess, confess, confess. And mm. you've got to go save everyone at school and mm. you've got to be on fire and you've got to think about God all the time and you've got to pray all the time. And it just felt like so much pressure to her. Sure. You know, and, and I mean, I was raised that's, like that's, that, you know, you got to be on pressure. fire for God. Right. That's like, I don't even me. know what that means. <laughs> like, what totally. does that mean to be on fire for God? Like I, right. you right. know. And if you're not having your quiet time every morning, you probably don't even love God. And, you know, and so um, she was really turned off by that. And so it, it's hard. It's 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 a weird space to be in. I never in a million years thought I'd be the parent who pretty much only goes to church on Easter and, and um, <laughs> Christmas. But here I am. Here I am. Yep. Um, so I try to find other spaces to connect my kids in faith. We go to the Wild Goof wild goose festival every year, which is a very progressive Christian festival. Right. Um, I do beer and hymns and I involve the kids in that when I can. Now, hold on. We're going to, I'm getting to beer and hymns. So yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get we'll, to beer and hymns. That'll and what be my that next means. question. Yes, but keep going. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a, cha- it's a real challenge. It's, mm-hmm. it's been a real challenge and I've kind of found myself in that space of like, well, if the church that I want doesn't exist, do I need to start it? And then I'm mm-hmm. like, good Lord, I am a single mom of four. <laughs> like I cannot start a church. You, you but, already have one. <laughs> yeah, kind of. You're, you're already, you're already. Yes. Now, now, but you did start this beer and hymns and, and I gotta, I mean, I, I think it's absolutely genius and it's been so validated by how kind of big it's gotten. But would you talk just a little bit about the origin of that and yeah. kind of what it's turned into and then what it what 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 bearing does that have on what a church could look like in the future? Totally. And I think it has a lot of bearing, actually. So I didn't start beer and hymns, um, but I started it in in Orange County. Okay, so first of all, like, you started it. OK, in my mind, <laughs> you started it. And no one else I gets started credit. the whole thing. OK, it was yes. all mine. Um. I think it was like seven years ago, I, somebody shared a video, um, of Nadia Bowles Weber doing beer and hymns at, with her church. Mm -hmm. And they went to a bar and they were drinking beer and singing hymns. And I saw this video and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, this is so cool. I so wish we had this. Mm -hmm. And then I went to the wild goose festival and they do beer and hymns there. Um, so I got to experience it myself and I was just like, this is so cool because, you know, you've just got people from all walks of life, um, people from all different theological viewpoints, just coming together and singing these songs that we grew up on. I grew up with hymns, um, in sometimes an irreverent way, but in, in, in many moments, a very sacred way. And I was like, okay, I want this, like, I want this and I have to start it. Like, you know, I can't just keep pining for this thing to be where I am. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I came home and I enlisted two friends who were musicians (laughs) and I said, we're doing this, like, we're going to start this. And so we, um, we do it. We meet in a bar, we meet in a very hipster bar that, um, no, we, um, we're at Wayfarer. Okay. Got it. Which I think when you you were at dirty, but you were dirty, you started there, right? We did. We still do Dirty Nellies for our um, March show, for our uh, um, St. Patrick's show. Yeah, so we yeah, go yeah. back. But but the crazy thing is we actually outgrew Dirty Nellies. We can't fit in there anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. So 
and which is a big bar. So yeah, we in our first year we outgrew every bar we tried. So we're now the bar that we're at now is actually more of a concert space um, so, in order okay. to fit everybody. Okay, that's in. amazing. Do you? Yeah. So what's a format like? Give yep. could you, is what's a typical night look like? Yes, um, it is. It is exactly what it sounds like. We don't. <laughs> where there's no preaching, there's no proselytizing. It is a safe space for Christians and non-Christians to come, and we just sing hymns. Now, I'll tell you. That being said, it gets incredibly worshipful in moments. You know. Wow. Um, and I think people from the outside are looking at it going like, oh, you're making a mockery or, you know, this is, um, you know, this is heretical. Like we actually take it very seriously. So there are times when we're being silly, you know, we, um, you know, we have our traditions, we sing leaning on the everlasting arms and everybody puts their arms around each other and leans and we sing old rugged cross and everyone does a a clink of the glasses in the middle, but then we sing it as well, or how deep the father's love for us and arms are raised and eyes are closed. And mm. all of a sudden you're in a bar that you might've mm. like come and seen a show in last week. And it's a room full of people fully mm. worshiping. Mm. Um, it's, it's incredible. It truly is incredible. And for me, it feels like the most authentic church I've ever been in. Mm. And the beer is optional. I don't even drink beer. You know, we have yeah. sober people who come. Um, but it's more about being in a space where you kind of, you yeah. know, that that judgment and that baggage that you might have experienced at church is n it's just not there. Nobody's going to approach you after and ask how your walk is going, which is an awkward awkward, weird thing we do to each other. Right. No one's going to, you know, ask how your quiet time is going. No one's going to ask, you know, if you, if you're going to church or if you want to join a small group, it's, it is what it is. It's its own thing. And if, if people meet each other out of it, which they do, we've had two different couples um, meet and get engaged. <laughs> oh. um, but that's really the format. We sing hymns for two hours. And now do, if you're leading, or have you, have, do you do a set list? Do you, we do. Do you talk from up front at all and interact? Do you take requests? Do you, um, can anyone stand up and, you know, this one I want to sing? And it's karaoke. I mean, how, how uh, I mean, that, yeah, just, just one more cut at, like, how do you, pat like, and I, this isn't the right word, but do you pastor it at all? in terms of uh, guide or direct in any way? Not really. I mean, we, we certainly are planned and, and there are beer and hymns chapters. I want to say all over the world. And if this is something that you're interested in going to for mm -hmm. listeners, you could probably find one near you. And every chapter has its own flavor. And I think uh, every chapter has a flavor that sort of matches their own community. Mm -hmm. Ours is, I will say, a little more produced than others. Um, mm -hmm. we, we're a band for sure. We practice for sure. We have mm -hmm. a set list. You know, we show up prepared. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, we've always wanted it to be not a concert, but more of an experience. We call it karaoke all skate. So it's like everyone is singing. <laughs> so we'll back off the mics. We'll do a lot of acapella stuff. We want people to hear them, their own voices and the voices of the community that's standing there. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's not supposed to be a show. Mm -hmm. um, so we actually, we sing the hymns very straight. You know, we don't do a lot of riffs. It's, it's not a performance. Um, 
But that being said, we do plan. We will take requests, but that would be more like we would take the requests on our Instagram page and then incorporate yeah. it into the show. Got it. Um, but just because I don't know, we, we kind of like to have, <laughs> you know, we don't want things going off the rails. Right. Um, and then on occasion, we'll do an after party, which mm. is um, we'll kind of end the hymn set and then we'll just do covers of we'll have an 80s night and we'll just do 80s <laughs> covers. And so we've all stood there and worshiped together for a few hours and now we're going to sing Madonna. Um, so we, we've done covers nights of seventies of eighties. Mm. Um, in February, we do a cheesy love song after party where we just Perfect. sing the cheesiest love songs oh, and everybody sings along. We p- pull people up. One thing we do in the summer that's really fun is we do church camp songs. Oh, wow. So we'll, yep, you know, yep. we're going to go back in, in the vault of like, yep, yep. you know, the mm-hmm. Lord's army and <laughs> you can't, oh, you can't get to heaven and all those old funny church songs, which that is a really fun night. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it is irreverent at, at moments. Um, but I think the irreverence, um, is more about just, you know, us having fun together. I think that there is definitely reverence paid to the words and the experience of of the hymns and in my opinion (laughs) hymns are so rich you know um especially you know a lot of the older hymns are so rich in the theology that that's that's all we need you know people singing those words i think is so affirming in in their own faith that we don't need to get up and preach you know yeah do you do you hang out song sheets or anything because yes. if I'm okay, mm-hmm. so so someone who has no background, I'm yep. sure comes and then can enter in. Oh yeah. We okay. hand out hymnals. Um <laughs> Yeah. We hand out hymnals. We we create a hymnal. It's funny because we went back and forth on like, do we just want to project the words? But it's like, mm-hmm. no, that feels like church. Yeah. Like yeah. if we have if we're projecting the words, that feels like church. So everybody has a paper hymnal that they're given when they walk in. Um, we try to make it really comfortable for, for people who are coming, you know, from, from any kind of a background. Yeah. What, so, so what lessons, so let's say, let's say you do start this church. Um, yeah. And and, and it's an eye towards, with an eye towards our kids flourishing in a community 20 years from Mm -hmm. now. What's that going to look like? What have you learned from this? And everything else that you'd say, no, I think this needs to be a part of it. Well, you know, I think, you know, I really feel when I read the Bible, I feel that love is supposed to be above all. Mm-hmm. That is supposed to, that is supposed to be the, you know, they'll know we're Christians by our love. I mean, and I, I don't feel like that's happening. And so I feel like, a, you know, a thriving church needs to place that above everything anything. And that means loving the LGBT members. That means loving the immigrants in their community. That means, you know, loving the people who are oppressed. That means loving, you know, the, the, the people who are in a different socioeconomic level. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that, that's really where it has to all flow from. It all has to flow from our love for other people. Um, I think that the people on stage at a church need to look like the community that they're in. Hmm. I mean, I just, and and I'll say this too, when we're talking about, you know, 
the concerns I have in the present day church, there's just a lot of churches that are real concerned with the people on stage looking like rock stars. (laughs) And I mean, you know, you've seen it. Oh my gosh, Mike. And I have to tell you, side note on that note, have you seen the Instagram account, um, preacher sneakers? Oh, it's heartbreaking, and yes, yes, I am. Because have. I have to tell you, there's been so... I, it makes me think of you, because there's so <laughs> many times I follow it. Let me explain how it makes me think of you. But I follow it, and it... I actually... There is there is a part of me that feels rage. <laughs> rage at, against... At the, yes, at pastoral yes, footwear. Yes, it's just this... At this pastoral, like, display of... Um, I mean, it's it's both consumerism but it's also just like why do you need to look like that and right. you know right. and i it it makes me think mike of when you were my pastor you showed up every week in your in your cargo shorts they were and your your blue button up and i really miss that like i loved that you know just that you were just like this is me i'm not trying to get up on stage and look like I'm a rock star. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm concerned too, with just this, there's a sort of weird celebrity culture in some oh, of the mega yes. churches. Yes. That's gross to me. Yeah. You know, why do you not have, why, like what is happening when your entire worship team looks like no one's over 25, no one's yeah. overweight. Yeah. Everyone just went to Urban Outfitters this weekend. <laughs> What's happening there? Like, totally. those, you know, people should look on, on the stage. They should look like yeah. all shapes and sizes. Yeah. It's just weird to me. And, and I tell you what, moving back to the Midwest for us um, yeah. was was really shocking because, I you know, when you we were in Orange County for 20 years and we just didn't realize how accustomed we'd come to everyone looking awesome and beautiful. And then, and then we, we show up in Columbus and it's like, Oh, these are, Oh, these are, these are real people. And when we go back to visit now, like even my kids will notice. Yeah. Um, And, and it really, it's really a thing. Uh, And it is, you know, and, and certainly it's true of the church at at a whole, No, no question. The Instagram account shows that. Um, oh, Seth wants to say hi. hi. Now, this hi, is Miss, Seth. This is Miss Kristen. Hi. You, listen, you were just a little bitty guy. Hi. Yeah. Seth is now 10 and is going into fifth grade. And where are you and Mama going right now? Haircut. You're going to go haircut? Yes. Absolutely. Nice. Yes. Very exciting. It took us, <laughs> it took us, I don't know, what would you say, Jay? Maybe eight years of of him throwing fits to get him to the point where he will go get his haircut. So hallelujah. But that I, I think your I think that Instagram account is so symbolic of the shallowness of yeah. of the image management that's you know uh, and it, and it, 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 it drives me it just drives me crazy. I'm with you. I can't do it. I'm like where are the fat people? Um, and we went to a, a church here that that is the hip young cool church and we just couldn't. We just couldn't do it for that, for the same reasons. Um, So, so, so your church is going to have people who look normal. Um, You're going to have, you're going to emphasize love of, love of everyone. Um, What other, what other things? It sounds like the kind of worship experience is going to be expressive and um, 
probably similar to what you've learned through beer and hymns. Is that correct? Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, I think that that's a space when I'm, when I talk about this, um, online, I, you know, I hear so many people echoing the same thing. It's like a mm. lot of us want that experiential worship that we grew up with, mm-hmm. um, but we want it with a more progressive theology. And it, it just feels like that's a thing you have to give up when you find it. And this is not, this isn't universally true. I mean, I'll say like, I visited Jen Hatmaker's church in Austin Uh uh and they're doing both, you know, but I've never seen anything like that where I live, you know, so it's, it's there, it's out there. Um, and it's, but I don't think it's everywhere. No, no, I'm I'm sure I, I, I am sure that it is not (laughs) because it's just, it's too easy to live, either live in the binary or try to cover, um, you know, whatever it is you really think about these issues, you know, yes. beneath the, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're welcoming to everybody kind of thing. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, And I think, um, you know, one of the things that I really felt frustrated about in the evan- evangelical church that I went to for a long time was just also, you know, the, the lack of concern around social justice issues and mm. that that bothered me. It bothered me that, you know, there would be a big news item. And then that Sunday, we wouldn't talk about it at all. You know, mm-hmm. um, that we were not concerned with racial reconciliation. That's not mm-hmm. a topic that was brought up. Or if it was brought up, it was brought up once a year. And it was couched in like, well, we don't want to be too political. And then, which I'm sorry, what's political about racial reconciliation? <laughs> that should be apolitical, right? right? Like, You'd shouldn't think. both Republicans and Democrats want to fix the race problem? Yeah. I, I don't ha- know how that's political, but, you know, they would act <laughs> like it was this really radical special Sunday. And, yeah. you yeah. know, it yep. just wasn't yep. wasn't a part of the of the normal dialogue or, um, you know, figuring out how are we caring for orphans in our community or foster kids in our community Mm -hmm. or immigrants in our community. Um, which to me, those were the things that Jesus was the most, he harped on it a lot. Like (laughs) we hear you, dude, you know, we're supposed to care for the poor. We get it. Um, and when you have a church that's not reflecting that from the pulpit, that's a problem, you know? Um, and I felt disenchanted by that. I, mm-hmm. I felt, um, it felt like most of what I was hearing from the pulpit was more, um, personal growth, looking at yourself or Absolutely. even, or recruiting other Christians, but probably recruiting other Christians that look like you, mm. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So pretty millennials will attract other pretty millennials and that's fantastic. (laughs) But what about the fact that we live in a predominantly Hispanic community? Mm. You know, like those are the questions that were really bothering me. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. For sure. What, what gives you hope in the middle of, of all of this? Cause I'm with you. I mean, I think we're at a very, I don't know. I mean, maybe every generation feels like they're at a pivotal moment, but this certainly feels more pivotally than than maybe previous moments. Yeah. But what what gives you hope uh, about it? Why do you, why do you still go on Easter and Christmas or or (laughs) beer and hay? I mean, like, like what, what is that residual sort of, I haven't given up on it yet. What is that? Yeah. Well, I think I haven't given up on my faith and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that's what keeps me going and that's what keeps me hopeful. Um, 
And I think more and more people are, are, are saying, you know what, my disillusionment with the church, you know, capital C, um, does not have to mean that I'm disillusioned with my faith mm. or with God. And I think that's an important distinction, mm. um, that, you know, even if you can't find a church home, that doesn't mean, well, I guess I'm going to abandon everything I believe about Jesus and God. And, you know, yeah. you can still, you can still hold all of that as, you know, as, as your personal, um, belief system. Um, but I think what I'm seeing that gives me hope is a new generation, um, that's having more nuance, that's letting go of, of some of these rigid rules we've had. Um, I think we are seeing more people talking about the nuances of faith. I think we're seeing, um, you know, people being more tolerant and accepting and, and people coming back to, what Jesus really said, you know, one of the um, other movements that I've that I've been a big part of is the red letter Christian movement that Tony mm. Campolo and mm -hmm. Shane Claiborne have really spearheaded. But they invite a group of us. It. No, you started it. I started it. Right. It was started <laughs> by me. Um, <laughs> no, but I've been very blessed to be a part of it. But they. Um, they will invite about 50 of us once a year to kind of go to this retreat center where we talk about all of these issues in the church and how we can, you know, how we can go back and affect change. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, mostly speakers or writers. But I feel like I go to that every year and I like I feel like it refreshes me because it's mm. just it's a group of people who love God and who want to see the church flourish and, you know, want to see social justice happen. And so I feel like I'm seeing more of these spaces, um, and movements popping up. Um, and that gives me a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's excellent. So Kristen, such great stuff. I can't thank you enough for sharing your thoughts. So how, how do people find you online? So well, give us your Twitter. My Twitter is Kristen Howerton. My Instagram is Kristen Howerton. And the blog is Raging It's the Minivan. Boom. <laughs> that should, see, that should be a good band name. And and um, you were just telling me you, you, were, you were just finishing up your first book. Which I am. Exciting. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, I have a book coming out. It'll be coming out with Convergent. It's coming out about a year from now, um, but I am in the um, editorial portion. So I've turned the book in and now I am having people tell me the things that are wrong with it need to be changed. But yeah, it's going to be, it will be a humor memoir, um, predominantly about parenting. Although I will, of course, be talking about faith and race and social justice and all those issues close to my heart. Um, there will be a glossary of, of Christianese. That's a part of the book <laughs> explaining some of our terminology. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it'll be um, mostly just a humor memoir. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And then it'll, it'll be out when do, you said like next year, 2020. I think May, May of 2019 or 2020. Okay. What year is it? What day is it? Yeah. This, May this of is 2020. So, so a year. So exactly yeah, a year. About a year. Yep. Look at you, big deal. And then <laughs> uh, podcast is the selfie podcast. Selfiepodcast.com or you can so just really, find us on iTunes. Yeah. That's a really clever name. Um, all right, Kristen. So stick around. I'm going to, I'm going to officially sign off, uh, and stop recording, but I want to thank you, you know, after all of this is done to our Vox listeners, 
boy, thanks as always for tuning in. So grateful to be a part of your life and for the privilege of doing this. And uh, until next time, friends, thank you. All right, so that's Kristen Howerton. Super interesting, super articulate, um, very, a lot of experience on both sides of the church equation. And I thought that was a great conversation. Um, here's Andy. Andy and I, man, I, I we go, <laughs> we go for a while on this stuff. He's recording, Tim, he's recording from the beach, which just makes me bitter. Um, he's literally <laughs> in this truck recording from Doheny, which, um, oh, just is awful. But, uh, we have a great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. We are here, ladies and gentlemen, with... Really, I mean, there there would be no Vox podcast without Andy Laura. There would be no Vox community without Andy Laura. There would be nothing. There would be me and my boxers talking in a microphone and having it not be recorded at all, muttering to myself if there were no Andy Laura. So, Andy, welcome back. Um, hi, how are you? I love that you are at the beach. Tell us about your recording <laughs> studio right now, if you would. <laughs> uh, yes, I am very much of the kind to build the anti-model of a recording studio. I'm currently <laughs> sitting in the back of a, a 2003 Chevy Suburban uh, overlooking uh, the water here at uh, Doheny at the oh. Dayu site with a lovely view of the overcast California coast. <laughs> but for those, for those who are unaware... Um, that's the beach. <laughs> what yes. you just described is a beach. What I described, oh, the beach, an, I guess, is the simple ocean. I'm at the beach. I'm at well, a beach. I'm, just, I'm thinking of Ohio people who, like, we went, we went on a boat, and it was pulling an inner tube, and they told us that there was a beach there. And, 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 and it, it turned out literally, I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating. It turned out just to be this bed of gravel that kind of led into this creek. And they called that a beach. So I, I just want to, for for um, for it was some a of boat our loading Midwest, dock. It, it was awful. It was the boat loading. It dock. was awful. <laughs> it was just like somebody had dumped tons of gravel on the side of a, a body of water and said, "This is a beach." And I just want to say, no, Andy <laughs> is looking at the Pacific freaking ocean as we are sitting here talking. I am looking at. Uh, a couple of big pine trees out my front window. So not yeah. bad, but it ain't not that. Bad. Both nature. I mean, hey, we both have nature in view. We do. So we I do. guess we that's, do. A, that's a beautiful thing. But, uh, but, but see, in thing. summary, this is Andy Laura. What, what his recu recording studio is, is the perfect expression of his person, which is unconventional <laughs> and creative and organic. And so, Andy, I remember, I will never forget. I mean, literally, there there would be no podcast if we if if you weren't a part of this thing and we didn't have a conversation in front of the house in Placentia that said, "Hey, I'd love to start a podcast." And and you were like, "Hey, I I've actually been thinking about this too." What what has changed in the four years in the podcast world since we started this thing? Oh, oh my goodness. What has changed? Um, well, I guess to start, I mean, in context to what, you know, we've done with the podcast and what you're still doing with the podcast, um, you know, these kinds of voices, meaning, you know, 
voices pushing back against the status quo, you know, voices of controversy, voices of desired change. Um, when we started this, I mean, I think could probably count on one hand, you know, how many other shows there were that were really bold enough and courageous enough to kind of enter that space. Right. Um, you know, the, I think at the time, for me at least, I, I saw this unique opportunity because while those other voices are very influential in their unique spaces of influence, and I think it was at the time it was like Bad Christian, The Liturgist. Liturgist, I'd, yeah. I'd, you know, I'd throw Science Mike in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Homebrew Theology was kind of one, or Backyard Theology. Uh, you know, Dan Koch was doing some new stuff kind of within the first, you know, six months of us starting mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But the... The, the, the unique thing that I think that you offered and I think we had an opportunity to bring was someone who was actually like considered a senior leader in a church. You know, that was kind of, I think, what I saw. And you're studied and you have the clout and all of the scholar background to be able to actually discuss these issues on maybe a bit more um I don't know what the right word is. I'm not going to say biblical level. That's the wrong language. But it's just right. you're you're able to you kind mean. of you're you know you're pulling the leadership of the culture into the conversation. Whereas like for a lot of them, they were acting as people who had been a part of churches. They were mm-hmm. worship leaders. They were you know kind of staff, and they weren't necessarily cast. I think with the responsibility of trying to lead a culture, um, you know, directly from their previous responsibilities. That said, it 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 seemed to create we could carve our own space. You know, to mm-hmm. kind of like. Mm-hmm. And it, it allowed us to say, if we're going to start a church or if that's an opportunity, then that's that's something maybe we could do and let's see what happens. Um, yeah. And since then, yeah, no, and since then, I mean, there's countless podcasts, you know, three <laughs> years times. I mean, and it's it's hard. It's amazing because as much as like you try to look at well, what happened in that year, it's like, oh, well, Trump was elected. So but it's like, no, no, no. It's like that's not even that's not even the whole of it. Right. I mean, the Me Too movement happened in that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And then Church Too happened to follow up to Me Too. You know, so it's it, there was other big cultural kind of time bombs Huge. that went off within the church, which then, <laughs> you know, me. mm-hmm. I mean, we got that. We have all kinds of articles that posted about women in leadership that went massively viral in which people, you know, got big on those. Um you know, Beth Moore became this incredibly prophetic, you know, oh my, <laughs> woman's yeah. voice in the social yep. media space, which I think for yep. a lot of people was not expected. Yep. And um, that was uh, really, really cool to see. Um, up to like, I mean, yesterday there's articles that are being posted about like oh, yeah. whether or not she should be, you know, yeah. stay with her association. Um, <laughs> and, and so it's, it's, it, that's what's amazing to me is it wasn't, it wasn't just like one, one thing. It was all these different layers Massive. that mm-hmm. then cracked open the space. And it's neat because I don't, that's not to say that we're, we're due any credit. I don't think we did anything mm-hmm. so special that everyone followed it. I think it was just a very, <laughs> well, I think more from the bigger conversation of the podcast industry mm-hmm. is that it, podcasting just became a household name. You know, in the yes. past five years, I think it really became much more of a household name, even though it's been around for the past 15 years. No, and absolutely. so it, it became an you know an alternative form of primary media for people mm-hmm. to be able like oh I don't listen to the radio anymore I just listen to podcasts or now I don't choosing music or choosing a podcast are equal it used right. to be like well I'm listening to music what else would I do in my car it's like I don't right. want to listen right. to talk radio right. because you you were only given what 
what you were given. Now you are allowed to select what you want to be influenced by. Totally. So it's just, and it's generational for sure. You know, I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's my generation, the Zennial kind of pre-millennial and the millennial generation that was really wanted to grab onto new ideas and yep. engage in conversations that were meaningful to them. And I think that really just cracked open the space in the past five years absolutely it's it's absolutely crazy where do you where do you see it going do you think obviously podcasting is here to stay but there is i wonder if there is a point of saturation um you know do you see this evolving into anything i mean you know because you've started some other stuff so how do you like how do you see the state of podcasting now going into the future well, my approach to podcasting and most conversations with helping others start a podcast is just recognizing that it's just an it's it's now a viable and realistic marketing tool. Hmm. So, and it can be used for one of two ends. Like one is the first that I just said, you use it as a marketing tool much like you might use video or graphic mm-hmm. advertising or anything like that. Um, or um, you can be driving it to be an actual business itself. Um, I think there's two, there's definitely two different roads for how you accomplish success in both of those directions. But, um, that being said, I don't, I don't think podcasting is going like is leaving anytime soon as a marketing tool. I think it's probably one of the most, um, uh, accurate might be the wrong word, but I think it's one of the most interesting marketing tools in the way that it allows you Mm -hmm. to develop a deep, um, buy-in from those engaging in your product or whatever you're doing right. much, much more successfully than print media or even video media as far as that stuff goes. I mean, yeah. you, I think your ability to attract, you know, all in types of customers or your audience, um, mm-hmm. you have a much better success rate doing it through podcasting. So um, I have a lot of reasons for that. But then on the business side, it's, it's I think if you're, if you're trying to start a podcast to be its own business, it's, it's a long road and it's a hard road, but it just, mm. it's all about if you want it or not. And you just got to do mm-hmm. all the things to really ensure that you're committed. I mean, and it's like, it's more like, in my opinion, it's kind of like the real estate market. It's like mm. something you have to rather like, you got to commit to this thing for a year because then yeah. you got to build that back catalog because then once yeah. you have that back catalog and then you build your audience, now you've got something that you can, you know, use to sell products to and right. whatever, right? Now, obviously in our experience with what we did with the Vox podcast was, can a podcast have a community? Right. Now, right? So in this case with like nonprofit type of work, and even if you want to look at small business work in the health space, this same idea works really well. Like if you are a runner and you do a podcast on running and health, well, I can't be an audience member of that podcast and not start running, right? Like, what's the point? <laughs> yes. You know, it's yes. like, oh, yeah, I love listening to this, like, marathon podcast. Oh, do you run marathons? No. Nah. <laughs> like, <it just> <laughs> right. Why would you listen? You know, it's, it's useless. Yeah. So it's things like that. You naturally want to start participating with whatever that podcast is offering. So um, in the case with us, the question can you start a church from a podcast was a huge question to try and answer mm-hmm. and i think i think it was absolutely true and i think we proved that that that's absolutely possible mm-hmm. so how you sustain that how you sustain that community and serve that community i think that's really where the rubber meets mm-hmm. the road you know? right and i right you know how do you so so one last question kind of about podcasting and stuff and then we'll get to the church where where do you see yourself moving forward 
you know, because yeah. uh, you, you do consulting now, right? You've started a couple a of bit. other podcasts. Uh-huh. Like what, what's the, what's the su- stuff that is super inspiring to you right now? Yeah. Um, well, things I'm, I'm learning in this space, like strategically, um, it's one of two things. Uh, the two other shows I, I produce and engineer are, are both in the disability space. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, one's focused in down, on, on Down syndrome, one's focused on, you know, all people with any disability. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I love those, you know, shows because they're very, you know, close to the chest and, um, you know, I just love being involved in those shows and producing those. We just did a, a live event show a couple nights ago. It was great. It was in the warehouse in the back of a floral shop. And nice. um, it was just cool, right? I mean, and it was probably, uh, I think we had like 25 people and it was like intimate, but it just, it to me, like being in the room and doing that, kind of like when we used to do our live shows, to me, that mm-hmm. was like, this is why I do this. This is, that was the now, best part. Right. Because yeah. it was like now there's faces, now there's people, and when mm-hmm. this, and then when we when we hit stop recording, now I get to go talk to those people and I get to yeah. know them, and yeah. so now I have like personalities to connect to on the other side of the microphone. That's so right. like to me, that was really like the best part about getting to a point of of, of having a show. So um, I'd love to con- continue producing other shows. Um, I think mm-hmm. specifically in the disability space, I'd love to kind of spend some time there and, and help people find their voice and find you know, mm. positive and healthy influence in that space. Cause it needs a lot of it. We need a lot of advocates. Mm. We need a lot of people working hard in that space to, to make some things happen. Um, and then also the second part is probably then sharing what I know, because I think in five years oh, time yeah. of, of producing shows, developing marketing content, developing community from shows, right. um, I've learned, I think a lot of unique things that, um, I just think would be unfair to keep to myself. And so, yeah. um, I, that's kind of my next three months here over the summers. I'm going to be working on um, actually a curriculum that you could buy. And so there's kind of, I got to sit nice. down and cut like 50 videos. I mean, there's a master, lot of stuff. Master class. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it, it'll be it'll be a full curriculum that's, you know, kind of, you know, basic launch, kind of intermediate yeah. and then like yeah. advanced where like if you finished, I think my advanced course, you could almost feel going out and probably even producing someone else's show. So I, that that's where I'm I'm really Dude, showing you awesome. everything that I know. Um, yeah. Awesome. So yeah. I would so it's say, kind of, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, I interrupted you. I was I was just going to say. I think the thing that has surprised me most on our journey has been the amount of community that can be generated from a podcast as opposed to a radio show. Right. or a or other media right i mean there's there's there was a physical expression absolutely and their physical expression sprinkled wherever but um even just the online sort of stuff that we learned was super fascinating right. to me i just didn't realize right. um you know i would have always said well of course the flesh and blood stuff is the best stuff and i still think that but that isn't the only stuff and uh, it right. surprised me over the last four years how tight knit a community really uh, this has become. Right, and uh, that's it, the coolest part. Yeah, and I think it's you have. I think the most important thing to remember with that is you have to be gracious and fair to its reality. I mean, I think there's some people who get on a high horse who are like, "Well, that's not real relationship, and that that can never be real community." And um, I think what we're learning in this day and age that social media interaction and communication is is a norm and a form of of structure that people feel safe Mm -hmm. in and in some Mm -hmm. ways people will feel safe to really share their thoughts in that way because yeah they are behind you know a a digital mask and a screen to be able to do that but at the end of the day it's like 
you can, you know, you're able to filter out people who are really trying to have a healthy and a rich discussion. Yeah. And I think it's it is it's very fair to see people who take that seriously. And I think it, it actually takes a lot of work to have a very nuanced dialogue um, in, in, on social media. It takes a ton of disclaiming, you know, it's you have to very yeah. much set up. Here's the tone. Here's the posture, because it's if you're just going to read it as words on a screen, then. Right. You know, we got we, we have to learn to be careful of what we're reading and we really have to kind of hold mm-hmm. out the benefit of the doubt. And so, you know, which we don't which is easier to get past when you're having a face to face conversation between tone yeah. and nuance and the totally. way people talk. You can you feel yeah. you, you realize, oh, this person isn't threatening. But then over obviously over online, you have to kind of pause and like, OK, what yeah. am I reading here? Is this a threat? Right. Is right. This... right. So it requires actually more work to make Absolutely. it happen. But I think when you can actually do that, you you almost have more interactive resources you can work with right because then people can post mm-hmm. links they can show photos yep there's a there's it's a whole other new language and i think that's really the choice that's right. if you embrace the new language you actually almost have this other dynamic of relationship that others just simply can't well, don't have mm-hmm. so so let's take this conversation and apply it to christianity or the church they're obviously not synonymous um and say okay well, it seems like we're at a pivotal moment in um for for many cultural reasons but it feels like we're in a pivotal moment of our understanding of what church is and could be and and uh and so the the interesting question that we've been wanting to wrestle with is okay what's the future what's the future look like and so i'd love 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 your thoughts about within our lifetime um, what is, and, and, and pick any of these questions to start with, but one would be, okay, what do you think the church is going to look like in 20 years? And it's good, it, good and bad. What is a flourishing ch- church going to look like in 20 years? What are the things that cause you a great deal of concern that you feel like have to die in order for the new language, um, to, to kind of bear fruit and be embraced? Right. Why don't we start with that one? Because I, I think I would guess yeah. you got some stuff there. What do you think has to oh. die for for newness to be embraced uh, as it as it comes to? Let's just keep it to the church for a second. Yeah, man. I don't. It's it's interesting when when I think about it that way. It's it's hard to articulate that there's some kind of coup to instigate to overthrow like. <laughs> something so systematic, right? Right, right. And 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 where I'm going with that is just like, well, let, I guess let me, let's kind of like talk about the problem. Like, mm-hmm. and I've talked about this before, but I think it's incredibly important to remember. So when we look at the boom of the information age of the past 20 years, mm-hmm. with internet, with exposure of content to everybody, it's... And it's much like kind of how America is, if you will, because, for example, like America, while its actual population is so small in context to the rest of the world, mm-hmm. it's such an influential power because yeah. it's leveraged so much of its ability to communicate to the rest of the world, its ideals. So yep. therefore, it's it's the Western mindset is very much in the belief that the American way is the only way. Mm-hmm. Right. So. You can absolutely stamp that on the church because Mm. you've got, you know, your upper 2% of churches in America are big Mm -hmm. mega churches over whatever, 5,000 people. 
yet the mo- the churches that most people know about or think mm-hmm. church should look like is only represented by that 2%. Yeah. When we know that over 50% of churches in America are like less than 100 people, right? Right. Yeah. So and and when you when you the stark contrast between economic mm-hmm. dynamics from the church of 100 people versus the church of 5000 people, mm-hmm. you're kidding yourself. If you're that church of a hundred people and you think you're supposed to look like that church of 5,000, right. like that shouldn't, that should not be your trajectory. It should not be thinking, how do we become that? Mm. Because they do not represent the whole. If anything, mm. they've, they've learned to leverage the accessibility of assets in order to share the message in the biggest way possible. And they believe, mm-hmm. you know, in all of their rightness that that's evangelism, you know, well, how mm-hmm. can we just you know, share this message as loud and as proud as we possibly can, leveraging every tool that we possibly can. The unfortunate Mm -hmm. byproduct is now that most churches believe and think that that's how they're supposed to do it in order to actually be the church. Mm. And that's where Mm. I would say is, is a very big problem. So, but then it's layered with then America's obsession with celebrity, Mm. you know, America's obsession with like the belief that a single personhood drives an idea. Now, Mm. There is successful, I mean, well, and for better or for worse, some of the most successful ideas in American, you know, pop culture have been driven by singular people. You know, Steve Jobs and Apple, you can't get away with talking about Apple with talking about Steve Jobs. You can't get away right. from talking about Microsoft without talking about Bill Gates. I mean, these Music all, and Eddie Vedder. Exactly. You can't get away with talking about music and um, Scott Weiland. <laughs> and so... <laughs> oh, 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 and so, ouch. <laughs> Point being is that it's it's more like it's just a fact for better or for worse, right? Because the, yeah. the crazy thing is w- when you watch every documentary about Steve Jobs, everyone is like, "This guy's an asshole," you know? It's like it's just no one. It's like it's no one likes him, and yet the world loves him, right? Right? It's this yeah. incredible ironic paradigm that what he created has so much powerful and positive influence, and right. yet. So, right. So it's it's but the thing is, we have this same problem in the church. So it's it's and it's it's on it's perpetuated continuously as they reach to leverage the other ways in which they can gain their followership and their quote unquote like numbers dynamic for their influence, meaning Instagram. Right. Meaning any like form of imagery is what drives people to continue following this thing. Well, cause mm-hmm. they, they're the ones who could pay for the highest video productions, the most right, camera gear, right. all of the better stuff follows yeah. where the money goes. Right. I mean, right. Right. I have lived in orange County my entire life and I can't even tell you and name more than 10 small churches. Hmm. And I'm fairly certain there's at least a hundred. Okay. Why? Well, because I don't see any of their marketing content probably because they don't have the money to hire someone to do all that marketing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so what am I supposed to believe? They're not successful churches. Right. Well, that's, that's, it's like, if that's my measure of success, well then, well then sure. Yeah. But that's, but I think that's the problem is that's how we are measuring success. It's the only way we measure success is like looking from the outside and judging it based on, it's visual appeal, it's followership, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's quote, very, influence. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I mean, if it, it kind of leans towards then talking about preachers and sneakers, right, you know, too. So you have <laughs> this guy who started a joke account to kind of just, like, roast on all of these, you know, prosperity, you know, driven, you know, pr- pastors. But it's even beyond prosperity. I mean, it's a lot of some mm-hmm. of the biggest evangelical leaders as well. And... 
you know, the everyone, like, I mean, talk about stirring the pot, dude. This guy, like, blew up overnight. Totally. But the thing is, like, I think subversively what he was calling out mm-hmm. is the power of image. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, that's the more that I think our culture just blindly follows and believes that there's power in the way something looks, mm-hmm. then the church is just going to fall off the rails. If that's mm. if, like, if you're asking me where the church is going and where, where do I see the biggest problem? It's that we have lost sight of how to like, how to participate. And I think measure the fruit of the spirit. If we can you know, mm-hmm. spiritualize it for a second. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cause there's just over and, and the, 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 the fortunate and beautiful thing that's happened through preachers and sneakers is that, um, there's been some people who have been said like, well, why didn't this guy just try to like reach out to these pastors and have conversations with them in the back room, blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, all of us have been trying to do that for years. It doesn't work. They don't want to listen. They don't want to receive an email from some random guy at some small church. Who's kind of like, Hey, I think, you know, maybe there's some issues with like you walking out on stage with your Gucci shoes. Right. You don't don't care. The, The unfortunate part about it is that it required social shaming Mm-hmm. In order for them to even respond to the issue, because it it was a response in mass to their followership, it was like mm-hmm. it without yeah. the followership, there would have been no response. And I'm like, that's a problem. So beautifully out of that, the guy has had actually good conversations with a number of some of these pastors now who have actually said, hmm. like, you know what, I get it now. I under I, it you're it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And they've they've actually taken some of the critiques very well. And so it's actually become this very beautiful kind of process and dialogue to help discuss, like, what are we telling people who, like, right. would never have even that amount of money in their lifetime? Right. You know, let, let alone right. you just, you know, whatever. So and yeah. there's there's lots of critique there. But I, I think yeah. that's the biggest systemic issue in America, I think, is that the constant belief that a singular person has more power than you and more ability to like mm-hmm. live out the gospel in a way that's beneficial for community is a lie. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, no, each and every one of us is made in the image of God. And Come on. right. And it's like, yeah. there's, you've already been released. You already have permission. Like mm-hmm. stop waiting on the church to give you the opportunity to do something, just do something. Mm. You know, that's really, it's like image, it, the image doesn't matter. The only image that matters is the image of God. Like, what are you doing to share and give people the integrity and humanity that they deserve? Help them see, mm-hmm. you know, that they were made, you know, in the image of God. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's what I don't see taking place, you know, yeah. in that. I see people then mimicking their fashion choices and style based on those people and that is not the image of God. And that's my right. problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the whole image management thing has to die. But that's just emblematic of a much deeper issue of how we're defining success of. Right. Because because you don't ever, you know, you go to pastor's conferences and, and the, the person leading a 30 person church isn't up there giving advice. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, but they could have been there for 40 years and they know everybody in the town and whatever. But it's the person that's got the biggest growing or fastest growing church, whatever. I mean, it always struck me yes. that we would rank always- the rank according to growth. Um, right. Because lots of people love Taylor Swift, but that doesn't mean she's any good. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just not. <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm that's just a hypothetical. Yeah. 
Well, I think, I, 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 yeah. Well, no, even but even in that analogy, I actually would say Taylor Swift might have a pretty long-standing slow growth model. I mean, from looking at like young fifteen-year-old Taylor Swift country pop artist slow right. growth, the transition to pop artist, and then expanded on her mass. I mean. And I got to give the girl credit for spending millions of dollars of buying porn domains so that they could not be bought for that purpose. I mean, stuff mm. like that, you're like, that's okay. There's something that's amazing. Versus, like, it, it would be more, I think, to say some one-hit wonder shows up and mm. everyone leaves their fandom from their long-standing artist to just follow the next one-hit wonder. Got that's it. what we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's just that's... That's the drag of of yeah. that of that analogy. Got it. I think. Got it. The no the no Taylor Swift analogies forthcoming for me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you need more so, Pearl Jams. Oh, bro. Um uh so that has to die. What do you think are th- are the things that could replace um what do you think a healthy church is going to look like in 15 years? What's going to yeah. grow? What's going to grow out of that, out of the forest fire of these days? Man, I mean, I think what, if, if you're going to correct, I think the physical expression of the church, I mean, for one, the only thing I would say I'm trying to correct is probably the bigger model. Because mm-hmm. I don't know that I would say I need to correct the small church that's only 100 people where that is the status quo. Right. Because if they're sustaining, then right. perhaps it's because they're actually reaching their people in the right and healthy ways. Like those mm-hmm. people are there because the church is actually serving them well. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if a church is able to continue at such a small rate, then, and that's obviously related to socioeconomics based on their area. I mean, that's one of the biggest problems in Orange County to my previous point is that your ability to afford a space to rent, you know, whether yeah. you buy a place on a corner or not is just not financially feasible if you don't have the numbers. Like right. that's, I mean, that's yeah. that's a that's actually like a socioeconomic conversation. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not even like you're doing the church wrong. It's like, no, you just can't. It doesn't. It's actually financially illogical. Like it's yeah. it's unreasonable yeah. to even try, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I think like, you know, to correct it would be what I've probably already said about that, because that's a big cultural issue. But mm-hmm. a healthy church, I mean. You know, I mean, with Vox, I mean, the the three, you know, core values that we built that thing on and which are continuing to carry on and the people that have been there with it, you know, now kind of ending its physical expression is, you know, the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. Like, you know, the church should love and serve the world, not stand in judgment of it. And, you know, and, and really seek to to seek to serve and build like the next generation. I think those are three really important values because they're all mm-hmm. very outward focused, but like inward seeking from a spiritual sense like why does a church need to be the safest place to talk about anything because you can't deny the fact that people have doubts people have questions you need to make room for Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and there's no sin in asking questions you know wherever we got that idea is insanity Mm -hmm. um you know it's i mean your church and your your leaders should be able to dialogue about anything if they Mm -hmm. can't that should be a huge red flag um (laughs) you know Yep. You know, understanding how to, you know, love and serve each other and not like learning who we're supposed to judge and how you're supposed to carry that out. We've talked about that in extent, mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. two years ago, early on into the show. Church is still, you know, like, you know, cool. even your your regular day to day Christians out in the world, like, don't even understand that. You know, mm-hmm. it's 
It's why our politics are so binary at the same time. Um, you know, largely because of, I think that, that value right there. So, I mean, I think healthy mm. churches are like, they're, they're the ones seeking that there would be no poor among them, but this isn't mm. just financial. This is also spiritual. Like, you know, poor in spirit, like poor in like, you know, needs and just character and like helping, like, how do you really walk alongside people, you know, without judgment, without qualification, really to hold up the Imago day in them, to give them integrity, to give them humanity, um, you know, and not have the in and out conversation, mm-hmm. you know, but really have, but have the con, have the con, the conversation about proximity and contact. Like mm-hmm. how, how close does Jesus feel? Is he even close? Is he far? Can you have hope? What does it take to yeah. get there? What are the things in the way? You know, like those are mm-hmm. much more interesting conversations to me than, you know, are we doing everything right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so yeah. That, that's, um, so it, it's, there's, it's, it's, it's a lot of humility. I mean, it's, I think talking about, I don't think you can create, man, it's hard to say this, but I think, I just think it's true is, and maybe it's, it's very locale based. It has to be, it's like when, and it's all, it goes back to what I said about like, just the, the real estate dynamics of cost of being somewhere. If mm-hmm. you're, if your church is based on surviving based on its numbers, Mm-hmm. I, in this day and age, I struggle to understand how it could be successful if you do not have a strong personality dynamic. Like right. if you don't have like that singular person mm-hmm. that's got that chutzpah to just like mm-hmm. convince people and drive people and do that type of thing. I think it would be very hard to fill a room if the room needs to be full yeah. now. Right now, if, if there were four, you know, diverse teachers and and influencers and ambassadors of like their community and the gospel that we're getting together to bring people together. Mm-hmm. I think you, you can fill a room. I don't know if you could fill a room in orange County. I don't, you know, I don't mm. know if you can fill a room in the most expensive places on in the nation, Yeah, but I think you could fill a home. And I think mm-hmm. like you'd have a much healthier expression of what the church looks like because it's maybe serving the reflection of the community. You know, and I always I always go back to that, too, is like you the, the churches need to be very sensitive of understanding what what their community actually looks like and like mm. their church. Um, it's hard to say that, like, the church should directly reflect the whole community, because at the end of the day, churches have styles. They have niches mm-hmm. and they have genres like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're probably not going to approach a lot of black people. If all your music is four on the floor and everything is just cut and dry and there's not a right. lot of soul in the way that you have your church expression. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. from all of my black friends and my wife, there's a different like way that like they participate and it's cultural. Mm-hmm. It is like it's mm-hmm. deeply traditional and cultural and that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. It's just the way that we are. But it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that then you need to create like, you know, soul Sunday, you know, gospel brunch as a way to reach them. <laughs> I mean, that's just misappropriation, right? <laughs> but it's just like we just got to be fair and just call it what it is, you know, oh. and then do what we can to have collaborative partnerships with other churches. And that's another mm-hmm. language I've really been like layering into a lot of like my thoughts is just like leaning towards collaboration and not competition. Like this mm-hmm. day and age, like my generation loves to see companies and churches and brands work together. The last thing mm-hmm. I want is someone spending tons of their money and energy competing for my attention. I, I'm sick mm. of that. Like, mm. show me the goodwill you have in your company because you want to partner with other great companies like yourself to do something great. I will mm. go to that company every single time. I'm not concerned mm-hmm. about someone 
being better than everybody else anymore. I'm far more mm. I'm far more interested in people looking to work with other good people for the sake of better good altogether. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. whether they're Christian or not, at least they're doing that. And I would right. much rather follow that brand and choose that brand over the one that whatever can deliver something my door tomorrow. I'll wait a week to get a better product <laughs> if that's right. what it takes. Because I'm right. just that's the consumer choice that we have. And I think that's largely what is leans into the change that I'm talking about is hmm. people need to to reach back and grab their integrity again. Mm. Learn how to make good choices. Like yeah. if if we are quote unquote a consumer culture, which absolutely we are, and we've been shaped that way, then take on the full responsibility of being a good consumer. What that also means then is when you experience something toxic in a church, you need to name it and you need to call it out and you need to bring attention to it and you need to make it a discussion, especially if you see them hurting other people. That's being mm -hmm. a responsible consumer, not just walking away from it because, oh, that church doesn't really fit for me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like mm -hmm. there's if we believe what we believe in, we should be leaning towards those harder discussions and, and propping up responsibility over anything else. Mm hmm. Dang. Um, what gives you hope these days about the future of the church? Uh, uh, you know, more craft beer breweries and great coffee spots opening up everywhere. <laughs> Most of them, I think, are, are Christians that run them. <laughs> I would actually probably argue that per capita... Uh, Christians that run specialty <laughs> coffee shops in in the California area is is overwhelming. For the record, awesome. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, what I mean, what gives me hope? I mean, what gives me hope is the fact that the Bible is wider and deeper and more detailed than our imagination could ever hold, hmm. and it is an hmm. infinite depth of wisdom and discovery mm -hmm. and learning and it's it's timely to our lives it's or it organically grows in us year to year to year in context and experiences and environments that we actually interact in so to say that you've figured out the bible and it doesn't work for you or that you figured out the bible and now you know how to tell it like it is to everybody is absolute foolishness hmm. because it's just like and we've talked about this too like to treat the Bible literally is an absolute discredit to what it is. You know, if you pre if you actually take it literally and you appreciate that, well, come on. I mean, it's then it's this endless resource of everything yeah. mm -hmm. because you're just then you're tapping into so much texture, so much aesthetic, so much environmental importance to context, to specificity. I mean, come on, like someone who lives in L.A. has a different life than I have in Orange County and I'm only 100 miles away. If, mm -hmm. In 20 years, if you read a blog post from a person in L.A. and a person from me in Orange County, we could be in two completely different countries. You know, if you don't understand these cultural dynamic differences and timely environmental differences, political sides, like, you know, our, our views on environmentalism, our views on the church, our views on all these different things, if you're reading that, you will not get an accurate picture of the purpose and meaning of anything we're saying. And that's just something I'm saying in a 20-year read in an area yeah. that is so outrageously complex. So to suggest that we can just jump into the Bible and and take it word for word in that same kind of way is an, is an absolute discredit. And so to basically the hope that I have is I think that the more 
as the information age has grown, I think that a lot of our folks who are desiring to see the full beauty of what the Bible has to offer are now inundated with how many resources we have to illuminate it. You know, we just didn't have this kind of access to this stuff 15, 20 years ago. And I think it's it's a great... It's a great success, I think, even for mankind that we've developed technology and information so that we can even see more than we saw before. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's graceful and I think that's beautiful and I think that's something we shouldn't take for granted. And I think we should also mm-hmm. take that carefully. And we need to be and we need to realize in our our time and season of of how polarized like our cultures are mm-hmm. and realize how the words are swords. You know, and it's just like we've got, there is a responsibility in in how we use those words and how we hold those words. As as we've said, like, it's not about what you believe, but how you believe it. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to understand how we execute that well and how we we nuance that and and graciously show kindness to others, you know, with love before we just decide what their truth is and what, whatever they need to change is, you know? So you see, that's, I mean, that's the stuff that brings me hope. I, I, simultaneously would acknowledge that I, I don't know I'm just I don't think I'm I've become a significantly more perceptive person I think as I've aged too. so I, I can't just make outrageous conclusions on the way things are you know I mean mm-hmm, sure mm-hmm. I but I'm also a data person so yes absolutely the, the data shows that our country has not been this polarized in mm. I don't know if ever and so mm. that's data telling us that that's that's the case that we've got going on so okay but we just need to do something with that you know Mm. we just don't like perpetuate the drama of it and just talk about it it's like well let's we got to understand why that is you Mm -hmm. know and look to be peacemakers in that and how do we how do we seek out the conversations and the opportunities in which allow us to make those changes in in good ways so excellent dude so i just i just think the imago day to carry that out in our modern day and like to share gospel um, I think we're, we need to reclaim the humanity and how we do that. I think we need to mm-hmm. let go of the systematic ways that that's been accomplished traditionally and <laughs> quote mm. unquote traditionally what in the past 50 years of America. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I think that's, it's, it's had such a profound impact in the way that we believe church is supposed to be that I just think like we need to reeducate and take seriously what we've inherited mm-hmm. and, and try to understand um, what does it really mean to help someone see God? Yeah. You know? Yep. And it's just, that's it. It, it doesn't, I don't think it comes down to t- t- sharing with them how great your church is. I mean, that could be <laughs> a thing, you know, but it's like, I, at the end oh. of the day, I don't, I don't want my relationship legacy to be remembered from my friends who are like, yeah, he was always talking about how, his, how great his church was. <laughs> I oh. Yeah. Like I get, I, I mean, the second, I mean, and I'm sorry. And I don't know. I mean, I have, I have friends who listen to this too. And like, I just, you know, if you're going to approach me and tell me how great your church is, I don't care. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. I, it's like, what I care about is how are you doing? Yeah. How's your, how's your energy? How's your stress? You're raising three kids. Is there anything I could do to help? Mm-hmm. That's what I care about. That's yeah. what I need. You know, and offer to bring my family food. Can I, hey, can I come over and, and bring you guys food? Can right. I, right. you know, can I bring your, can I bring your wife coffee sometime? 
I mean, those are like, it's that's that level of hospitality mm-hmm. that to me, I think makes way for gospel. I mean, and this is like, this is, I guess the last thing I, I'll say about all of that is the most, for me, one of the most profound, um, teachings that you did. And it wasn't, it wasn't something that you actually taught and suggested applicably. It was something that I picked up on that feels to me incredibly, um, subversive for America, but yet so fascinating to help resolve the power dynamic is it's completely commonplace in America to think I'm going to make my space as comfortable as possible. So others will be comfortable, mm-hmm. which is irony on its mm-hmm. own. Mm-hmm. So the goal is always, is my home ready to bring people in? Mm-hmm. So then you, you work towards that posture. Right. Whereas when you look at the Zacchaeus story with Jesus, he invites himself into Zacchaeus's home. Totally. And he gives Zacchaeus humanity integrity and says, you are worthy to have my presence in your home. Mm-hmm. So can I come to you? Because yeah. I want to be with you and I want to know you. It wasn't, right. and Zacchaeus was like, I don't, I'm not ready to have you in my home. He instantly <laughs> realized the knowledge and the glory, but he's like, no, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I want to know who you are in your place of comfort. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put mine down so I can mm-hmm. give you humanity and give you integrity. You see, Come on. that's the thing is that that's, that's the beautiful picture is I think this day and age when people go beyond themselves and say, hey, can I come to your house and can I bring you mm-hmm. a meal? So you're mm-hmm. in your place of comfort because I want to get to know you. Forget yeah. what I've made my home to do. That doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You know, but it's like, mm-hmm. I'm interested in who you are. Tell me about you. How could I be a part of your life? Mm-hmm. Like that. See, that just. Yeah. Yeah. That we need that right now. And it's, yeah. I don't think like we're, we're too busy taking sides and putting up walls. We're not, we're not willing to walk through other people's doors. And mm-hmm. that's where I think, you know, things begin to change. And so. Um, and that's true corporately. I mean, if you build a church, yes. it's exactly what you do when you build a church right in the old way is you you focus on a sunday service that has these conveniences and this this and that but it's really it's for the comfort of the people who are already already insiders yeah like it's not it's like like what we've talked about and we've had people who who said this about vox and and like i totally agree and it 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 was like a big reflection of the bigger picture like someone who's you know a single mom who's been left to raise two kids under whatever circumstances who can barely make ends meet, doesn't feel comfortable walking into a wealthy mom's mm-hmm. house where their kids are going to destroy their living room. Yeah. Like it just, they're not comfortable. Why do you think that That's they're comfortable? So you right. know? And it's, it's this, it's kind of the same idea. Like we had people show up to the live shows we were doing being like, why can't yeah. this be the church? Like this feels right. right. It feels like the aesthetic that I get when I listen to the show, but when mm-hmm. they walk into the pack, um, it's what we call the church at Vox community. Mm-hmm. And granted it, it's a really nice facility and yeah. it's, that's what we were able to acquire. And it's what we got. But for people, it felt like the narrative for Vox is significantly grittier. <laughs> and this, this, it, totally. it, right. It felt like the aesthetic, yeah. oh, it, yeah. felt, it felt off. It felt yeah, actually it untrue. Mm-hmm. I think of the nature in which we actually dialogue about this stuff and so it it kind of in my opinion it worked against itself for the majority of the three years of our existence Mm -hmm. you know i think we were always fighting through that tension of i don't like that we're always in this state of presenting something from a stage Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. but yet it was very hard to figure out and financially imagine how do we how do we transition from this 
and yeah. still keep the community viable, you know? And so I think that, yep. yeah, churches have the same problem and it's really, you know, yeah. I, I think like if it would be a pretty beautiful thing if you knew about a hundred people in your community that were actively pursuing people in their community, bringing them food, painting their fences, doing their landscaping, you know, mm. caring for the elderly, watching their kids so moms can get a break, you know, I mean, whatever. People that would be known for that level of hospitality in a local community, to me, would be the most beautiful picture of the church. That we yeah. lost the sense of desiring the image to look like an establishment that existed somewhere that everyone else would go to, but rather mm -hmm. you couldn't escape the outrageous hospitality of your Christian mm -hmm. neighbor. Come on. Boy, that'll preach, buddy. You can build something on that. <laughs> Andy, man, such good stuff. Thank you, my brother. It is so great to see your face and to hear Andy thoughts. And, um, you know, oh, you're we such... Oh, we done? I thought we were doing a two-hour episode for our 200. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we could. <laughs> Listen. Oh, I, I know that. That's that's absolutely no uh, trouble. Man. We we put, uh, what, 150 know. hours out there? Just the two of us. So um, that's that's not ever a problem. But um, <laughs> but to let you go to the beach and then Seth Erie, we're trying to keep quiet. And oh, yeah. he, is, he is restless. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He's been sitting on the stairs looking at me and he's just, he loves it because, you know, for him, Vox podcast is Mr. Andy. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no difference. He doesn't, well, I've arrived, he doesn't listen then. to any of the, he doesn't I've listen to any the new people. He does not listen to the new episodes. He's not interested in that. He's very interested in older episodes where Mr. Andy is on the, on the, <laughs> on the show. So it's really, awesome. really cute. Um, but my friend, thank you. This is such great stuff. And, and again, always so great to connect. So, um, where can people find you right now? Uh, yeah, uh, you can find me, uh, anywhere on social media as Andy likes words. Andy um, likes and then, words. Yep. And then my website, Andy likes words.com. And, um, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's all I'm doing right now. So, yeah, yeah. Andy and does I'm probably, like words. Yeah, and I'm probably wrong. You know, with everything I said, I mean, the likelihood is I'm probably wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah, I what's the what, what's yeah. the old saying? It's like I know I'm wrong about twenty percent of what I'm saying, but I don't know which twenty. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's so right. So but, you but know, that's the but that's the fun of the conversation is. I think you're right about a lot of it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, and, and I'm thankful to Jesus that he's endlessly creative in yeah. the, the way he, this, his spirit moves throughout his people. So I'm, I'm hoping it'll be something far, you know, better than anything we could conceive of. Yeah. But um, it is, it is interesting to me because this does feel like such a pivotal time where the church has an opportunity to either retrench and fight or to just collapse and say, okay, we're done fighting or to find this sort of middle like thing about, okay, so now we're this missionary enterprise again, which is good, right? When we're on the margins of culture, that's good. And when we're, when we're curious about our world, that's good. And when we're promoting flourishing, that's good, wherever we find it, you know, that kind of thing is exciting to me. Right. So I love, right. I love this conversation. So right. anyway, my friend, I mean, it, no, go, 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 go. 
Yeah. Well, I see, I was going to say, I mean, it, it feels like an endless defeat, right? I mean, because it doesn't, in, I mean, in, in the way of Paul, too, that like Christ only grows like in our weakness. It's just <laughs> like, it just, it feels like we, the church finally wins when we actually lose. You yes. know, it's like, it's kind of, it's just this, that's why it's like the idea of sieging towards our success feels like a a yes. paradox you know yes. because it's like what does yes. what does what is the ultimate success of the church it's like the ultimate success of the church to me is the cast out of of personal image in our culture and it's the full right. humility that says like you love aboundingly without qualification of other to the point in which i don't exist because i was so much i was so much helping others to exist mm-hmm. you know it's just that's you know and at the end of the day, that's where I think a lot of the fights that the church has taken on are in vain, you yeah. know? And so that's yeah. where it's like, it just, those are fights that are destined to lose. And, um, right. right. so it's, I don't know that's in some way there's this, there's this incredible beauty for fighting, you know, it's like baseball, it's like golf. These are games of failure. And in some mm-hmm. ways it feels like the development of the establishment of the church is a game of failure. It doesn't look all that different from early Israel everyone mm-hmm. wants a king and yeah. it's kind of like you know yeah i think yep. we've seen this before and we know we, we know where this goes <laughs> right right oh into so, exile baby that's where it goes exile. my final words oh excellent final words andy man love you appreciate you so much uh thanks for your time today absolutely anytime so there you have it sports fans Kristen and andy um, I love, I love, I love, you know, these are such great conversations and, and, and technically they deserve an episode of their own each just because uh, I think we get into a lot of great stuff and it, it is a lot, it is a lot of material and discussion, but I, I like, uh, Tim was suggesting off, you know, when we, when we were just talking about these episodes that we kind of formed this around a star Wars trilogy. So, so Rick and Bonnie were the phantom menace and um and then and then uh, and then andy and Kristen are attack of the clones which they're not clones in any way shape or form but so i don't know uh it's better than empire strikes back probably um and then and then next week we'll have our friend sky and it'll be revenge of the sith or in this case, Revenge of the Sky. Um, that's that's the best we could do for trying to group these together in some thematic way. Um, although the Force Awakens with Rick and Bonnie, you know, or we could have been the like, Last uh, Jedi, Mad Max, and these guys are beyond Ooh. Thunderdome today. Oh, or oh, no, yeah. I guess Thunderdome was the third one, huh? The, Road Warrior. It was Mad Max, Road Warrior, and Thunderdome. Yes, Tina Turner. Oh, that was, we don't need another hero, my, my boy. Um, that's awesome. All right, so anyway, hope, hope you've enjoyed this. The goal is just to provoke thoughts and thinking. We'd love to hear from you always uh, at hello at voxpodcast.com or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, thanks again for listening. We are very grateful to be a part of your life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and in these days give you peace. Until next time, friends, thank you. Thank you.